0: Sales, marketing, and RevOps. It's sink or swim out there, and yesterday's strategies and tactics won't help you today. This is Revenue Today, and I'm your host, Jared Robin. Join me as we interview revenue leaders in our community to learn what steps we could take right now to help you scale yourself and your company. Revenue Today is sponsored by Rev Genius, and we're on a mission to bring inspiration and creativity to all revenue professionals in the world. Okay. Today's guest is someone I'm looking to learn a lot from. He's a GTM leader with 20 plus years of experience in marketing tech, data science, recruiting, and advertising. He's built high growth companies from the ground up. Some of his many specialties include scaling revenue, identifying product market fit, monetization, growing teams recent former president of Metadata, the co-founder of Prop. Welcome, Olivia LeBay. Thanks for having me, Jared. Appreciate it. Couldn't be more happy to have you today. So let's jump right into it. Debunk a myth about generating revenue today.
1: Uh, this is something that I used to believe, uh, but have uh, pretty much changed over the years when I think about things. Um, and my belief was if you have a good product and you have a really good sales team, you don't need any marketing. And uh, I'm here to tell you that that is not true. <laughs> and we can <laughs> dive into why uh, I my uh, sentiment has changed over the years.
0: Yeah. T- tell me, sales drives
1: go-to-market, no? I'm a former salesperson. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, and I I sold a ton of deals early in my career and um, some of the companies I was at uh, particularly paycheck, you know, it was a, an organization that was, you know, driven by outbound salespeople. They, they hired outbound people that, you know, were uh, outside, um, outside salespeople and they would just own a territory and go to door to door and they would go and uh, you know, uh, the salespeople would do the marketing. Um, so you would basically you know, build um, brand recognition in the territory you were given, which was usually a couple of zip codes. And then you would just do the work uh, and close those deals. And um, after spending the last eight years in MarTech, I have completely changed that. And I think at the end of the day, marketing is probably more important uh, to scaling revenue efficiently uh, than having really, really good salespeople. Uh, because the way that the salespeople spend their time Is critical to the success of the business. Um, After having to manage budgets over, you know, the last um, couple years and and managing huge teams, uh, it's really cost. um, uh, It's not cost efficient to have salespeople do outbound. Um, And so, if you are not generating. If you are a CEO of a company and you are not generating, or marketing is not generating at least fifty to seventy percent of the pipeline for the business, um, I think it's going to be really, really expensive to scale efficiently. Uh, because having people that make over two hundred grand a year spending time cold calling, it's probably not the you know the best way to use um, your um, money that you've raised. Well, tell me about what you did at Metadata because we spoke um,
0: about how efficient you were early on. Curious Mm -hmm. to understand that playbook and see if others can duplicate that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, metadata um, is a marketing technology that helps automate uh, demand generation. And so um, you can build demand, right? Or you can basically go ahead and convert on existing demand. That's what like Google ads are great for because if you're willing to pay for it, you'll show up at the top. People know they have a problem They go to Google. They put the problem in there and you'll come up because you're paying to be at the top before the organic results are. Um, and so building demand for your product means that you need to essentially figure out who your ICP is. So who are your ideal customers? Uh, what are their personas? Right? What jobs do they have? Then you got to figure out what are their problems? What problems do these individuals have on a day-to-day basis? And once you understand that, then you start creating content. And creating content is is not very expensive and you don't need 20 people creating content. You just have a couple of people doing it. That's how you can save um, a lot to your bottom line and create content that will help those individuals, one, get familiar with your brand. And two, if you go ahead and share content that helps them be better at their job, they're going to keep coming back and you're going to build fans of the product and eventually when they have that need, they're going to call you. Uh, so instead of trying to convince somebody to switch from you know widget A to widget B, um, you know, basically start creating content to help and educate the buyers um, and the personas that you're trying to you know help at the end of the day. I think that's the most important. And if you want to build a high velocity customer acquisition model, um, sales reps can't do that by themselves.
0: That's yeah. So at what point, um, at what point do you need more sales reps? Or can marketing just handle this
1: throughout? Well, some some marketing can, right? And so, if you look at you know a company like Jira, um, they have salespeople. They say they don't have salespeople, but I've had a, a few meetings with Jira over the years, and you know it's a PLG motion, and, and that's product like growth. And product like growth is is really hot right now. And and the reason is that you can get users to start using the product. Uh, think of what Slack was able to do, right? Slack was essentially um, a product that you could try, download it free and then use it internally on a team. And then once, you know, the Slack realized that there was multiple teams using it, then they would send a salesperson to engage with whoever, you know, on the budget for this, and then try to upgrade them on a paid plan. And they would give them a variety of features that are important to, you know, the business, whether that be, you know, SSO um, or they will be analytics or things like that. And so there's a lot of companies now where you can just go to their website and download the product, use it for free. And then once you get to a certain usage or once you want to, you know, incorporate um, additional team members, they're going to upgrade you. And that is a very effective way to figure out, like, do I have a product that people want? Um, Because I've, you know, Talk to you know tons of companies over the years, and oftentimes you know somebody will you know raise some money, come up with a product, and at the end of the day, like it's not successful because not enough people want that product. And PLG is a way to figure out pretty early on uh, when your team is pretty small, like do people want this, and if they do, that's when you can start you know scaling and adding salespeople. Um, so you ask about metadata. So, you know, when I came uh, to metadata there, you know, company probably only had like 30 people. Uh, There was one seller on the team, uh, two BDRs. Uh, We didn't have a full-time marketing person, Uh, had lots of engineers. And, you know, in the first year, and then in my uh, second year there, we were able to, you know, do two and a half X increase year over year in revenue. Uh, and the first year we, you know, and this is like, you know, when joined was, you know, uh, low single digits, but we we're able to essentially more than two and a half X with just three salespeople. Um, and the reason is that, you know, our marketing, uh, we eventually got a VP of marketing who's amazing, uh, Jason up. but he basically came in and, you know, was able to generate 70% of the pipeline for the sales team. Uh, during the first year, given we only had three reps, we, like I remember when one of the reps came to me. Actually, a couple of them came in and were like this is too much like I have too many demos I had never been in a company where I had to go to marketing and be like can you please slow down the reps are not able to run efficient calls because they just have too many on their you know on their calendar every day and doing you know all the research you know before call and entering all the notes after calls and the follow-ups and like closing the deal there was just too much for them and um that really got me thinking I'm like well this is a super efficient way to not waste too much money um targeting and engaging with those buyers. Um, and we just create you know, a bunch of long form content and we would reuse it, use snippets of it. Um, you can leverage you know, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you could use LinkedIn for free. If you create the content and then you know, the employees of the company promote it to their networks, that's free advertising. Um, and that's something that I don't think a lot of companies do enough of. Uh, Gong, uh, which is you know is a great uh, revenue tool, uh, started as call recording, but now they obviously do a bunch more. I mean, they have a really engaging brand as well. They create great content, and that is how I feel like they won the space. Um, and that's because they were able to efficiently. Um, find ways to engage with their prospects, share, you know, the, you know, the learnings from all these call recording. If you're you know, a data company and you track things like, at you know, metadata, we track conversions of all campaigns. So we would basically connect to the channels that say you want to advertise on LinkedIn, you want to advertise on Facebook, you want to do some display advertising, you want to advertise on Google. We'd be basically be able to, you know, Tell you where to spend your money based on all the conversions, and instead of having a human optimize everything, yet you know, manually, right, or outsourcing to an agency, well, the system would do it all, right? Because it would be tied to Salesforce, it tied to marketing automation, and you could see all of the conversions across, and then you just spend the money where you're getting the best bang for your buck, um, which wasn't, you know, a solution that was available a few years ago, um, but now it is, and and now I, you know, realize that having people cold call. And do outbound uh, is really not the way to go. So why'd you have two
0: SDRs then? Did you make them inbound SDRs or how did that look? Yeah, they, they were
1: pretty much, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty much inbound SDRs. So SDRs can do a couple of things. One is, you know, um engage with people that come to your website, right? And so obviously there's chatbots and uh you know, chat bots are great, but you know, they're not a real person. And if you want to right. increase conversions on your website, you should definitely, you know, make sure that a human is behind it. Um, mm-hmm. as much as possible, especially if you could like figure out that, you know, the you know, IP address of, you know, whoever's on the website is one of the target accounts. Um, that's what we did at, uh, at Metadata. We, we switched to a, a software called Qualified about six months ago. And, you know, every rep in the company, if one of their account comes to the website, boom, Qualified will pop up and be like, start engaging with this prospect of yours. And we increased conversion rates on the website by 50%. Um, so
0: everything was warm. So there was not true cold outbound per se. It was like warm because you showed a level of intent that was probably warmer than
1: downloaded ebook. Right. Yeah. Although I'm I'm sure that was
0: probably there too. That changes
1: over time. When I I started meditating, you know, most people didn't know what metadata was. And, you know, uh, in the, my last year people were like, man, I love your marketing right? I, you know, I'm only talking to you guys because I want to learn from you guys. And if you can create, and obviously we're selling to marketers and metadata, so it makes sense. But if you can start creating content um, and, you know, really get to know the pains of the people that, you know, need your product and, you know, just share how they can do their job better, that is going to bring them inbound. And the worst thing you can do when you're, you're managing a sales team is having your sales rep trying to convert customers are not a good fit. For the business i obviously they gotta they have to hit uh their numbers and i, I think you know uh with your episode with mark Roberts, you know you talked about yeah. you know sales people <laughs> and how the comp plan should be different and i fully i'm full agreement there um you know you, land and expand is the most efficient way to scale a business that's going to have high customer satisfaction because you're not overselling out of the gate um and you know, so similar to what he said, you know, I believe that you know you need to um, set your salespeople up for success, and I think the best way to do that is to motivate them to you know be transactional in, in their first deals, and then stay as you know um, um, close to the account, and then get ready for them to be able to up you know upgrade down the road.
0: Now, you you spoke a lot about PLG and how it kind of lends itself to a marketing led motion. Do you agree with marketing led even away from PLG like if you're selling on prem stuff or or you know something uh something bigger like is is there a point where you're like you know what sales led and, and keeping it all in technology of course
1: yeah yeah i mean if your product is under 20 grand i think you can run PLG right all day long people will buy a 20,000 a year product and put it on the credit card um i don't think that's an issue if you're selling you know Microsoft Azure or AWS, I mean, sometimes you'll see some of the size of those contracts. They're talking like billions of dollars, right? Over like five or 10 years. you need a human involved there? And if you're selling a piece of technology that is sold to enterprise vendors, where you have to go through legal, you have to go through, you know, security review. If you have to do all these, that's what a salesperson ends up doing once you move up uh, selling like large deals. You know, they won't sell that many deals because each deal is very time consuming and you have to build a relationship with like, you know, 20 different individuals of the company. And so that you need salespeople for. Um, I don't think that, you know, there'll be a day where people are spending, you know, two million bucks on a piece of software they've never used without talking to anybody. Um but if your prod- product isn't expensive, um, I think it's you know, the best way to go. And then even if your
0: product is expensive, you can make the argument that this you know, outbound 2.0 movement is led by marketers.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I've seen over the years that a lot of marketing teams now are owning the BDRs. Um, I think there's some pros and cons there. I think from, you know, the pros is that you have messaging, right? So marketing understands what the ICP is. They're creating content for it. The messaging is on point, right? And so those are all things that are great. Now, if a BDR is really good, then they're most likely going to end up in sales right? Uh, Best BDRs usually will want to go into sales because you can make a lot of money. Some will go into customer success or they might go into, you know, uh, different lines of the business. But at the end of the day, a lot of people that get into, you know, be a BDR, a tech company, which is usually an entry-level position is they want to sell big deals. And so that's where I see that there might be more, you know, uh, issues down the road is one that BDR is ready to move to the next stage they haven't built relationship with you know the the sales team or the sales leader's there right. um, and they'll have to like learn you know sales 101 um after doing you know business development work which is different right it gets you good at like doing outbound and talking to people and uh, you know basically sharing your value prop but selling, there is so many more complexities to it as to, you know, how you build rapport and how you you should spend your time. Time management is, you know, I think the difference between a good salesperson and you know a mediocre one is going to be how they spend their time.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny from a company perspective versus a human perspective, human perspective, you want to align it to sales because you're like, this is our bench. From a company perspective, you want to align it to outcomes. They're all both just trying to get meetings. Like, why don't we optimize on that? These people are trying to bring revenue. Never is somebody bringing meetings the same person.
1: Or, you know, I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but right? Like, do you, do you see that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, in marketing, it's, it's changed over the years. I mean, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, print advertising TV. Um, And now, you know, most companies don't do that. And whenever I see a company that's wasting money advertising to the TV, and it's not a it's not a product that, you know, everybody knows, like, you know, Salesforce, for example, I don't think it makes sense because you're wasting impressions with people that don't know anything about your company. And they probably won't even look it up. Um, So you want to make sure you're targeting the right people. And with the capabilities of today's marketing technologies, like, you can build, you know, audiences, uh, based on you know, who's visiting your website. But then also third-party audiences, and that's you know, something metadata does, is like, I want to look by job title, seniority, location, like, and you can preview the audience before you spend a single dollar against it. So that means that you're basically only advertising to pre-qualified MQLs. And if they convert, amazing, but you'll know really quickly, because if you use native targeting on LinkedIn, they don't let you preview. Google doesn't let all the social channels, their job is to make as much money as possible. So they're going to, you know, take your budget and put it as many people as they can. But with the, you know, the, the new capabilities have come um, in marketing in the last couple of years, like now you can basically not waste your money and only target the right people at the right time based on their behaviors that you have and based on their, you know, their problems and their personas. Super,
0: super interesting. Moving forward... Like, what are the KPIs that are important to you today?
1: Uh, KPIs that are important to today. Let's see. Uh, NRR is probably number one. Uh, You know, any any company, uh, NRR uh, is going to be the most important to the CEO as well as to the uh, whoever's going to lead the next round. Right. And NRR uh, for the listeners is net retention rate. So if somebody gave you a dollar last year, how much of that dollar are you going to keep? Right. So if it's not good, it's maybe 50, 60, 70%. If it's great, best in class is usually 150%. That means that you've increased the value of that customer by 50% in one year. That is, you know, that's where you want to be. So that's probably the the most important metric that I would think about. Um, Followed by percent of your deals sold to your tier one and tier two accounts. Um, Because what you'll find is that when you do, um, you know, win loss analysis, if you put all of your customers into tiers, the tier one are your best ones, right? They, they retain, they spend more uh, B and then you'll have C and D. Well, when you built your list of target accounts, you should really focus your efforts on just tier one and tier two. Right. Unless your TAM is so small that you have to go after a different, you know, uh, companies are not a good fit. Um, But at the end of the day, again, retention is what's going to give you the biggest multiple on your company uh, when you're raising money or when you're trying to sell your business. And so, you know, make sure that your sales reps are only engaging with, you know, the top of the top and make sure that your marketing dollars are only going to people at those companies. Um, third thing I think about is, you know, percent of reps in, in quota. Because if they're not hitting quota, you need to figure out. Let's say you have fifty percent, and now there's sites like uh, you know RepView and things like that, which is you know geared towards like you know um, you know people that are in revenue generation, salespeople, CS, and so on. You could see people, you know, similar to Glassdoor, but they'll leave reviews and they'll like what percentage of the team is hitting their number, um, and if they're not hitting the number, that means that there's some inefficiencies in the business. So maybe they hired too many salespeople right? Again, it's costly. And so it's unlikely the company will do well. Uh, Or two, they're not thinking about uh, inbound versus outbound. They're not investing enough in creating demand. And they're only trying to, you know, jam, you know, deals uh, down, you know, uh, companies that might not be in the market for it. They don't have the pain at the end of the day, that's going to help them uh, be more successful.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah all makes total sense now what's been keeping you up at night if anything
1: uh right now i'm sleeping pretty well <laughs> but you that, know that's it, because uh,
0: you just you recently <laughs> left and you're, yes uh, you're yes picking I, your I, next move
1: i've been out of work for a couple weeks and i'm I'm sleeping great uh but typically <laughs> that- i mean you know i I think of uh, you know, since I grew up in sales, I think, you know, uh, sales, you know sometimes it's like people think it's like a, a battlefield, right? So you just leave it all on the field, right? Or like you play football, any analogy you can think of, but basically, you know, give it all. And so by the end of the day, I'm usually pretty tired uh, and I, I, I fall asleep pretty easily <laughs> and early, uh, but my, my issues is waking up. Like uh, sometimes sometimes when, you know, it's the end of a quarter or there's things happening at work, uh, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and like, you know, three, 4.00 AM and, and can't get back to sleep. And so I'll just at that time, get up. Uh, but I have three kids. So, um, I got, um, four-year-old nine-year-old, 14-year-olds, you know, I want them to, you know, uh, be good humans, uh, be able to take care of themselves. And so if there's something that I would think about as, you know, keeping me up my night is doing the best that I can as a, father to help them um you know be a good productive humans on this planet. I love that.
0: It's so funny cuz I empathize greatly with your at night play. Like this morning I was up from like 2 to 4 a.m. <laughs> just like and and if you get on the phone you're done. You're done because like you're going to see something and it's going to keep you going. I fortunately was able to fall back asleep but uh I the early mornings is is crazy. And then, uh, and and that's where my stress has come out as well. But, um, yeah, go on.
1: And I was going to say, there's an app, you know, there's, there's a bunch of meditation apps. I've been doing meditation for like six, seven years now, and it's really helped me, uh, become a, a better human and not let stress, you know, affect me as much. Right. I obviously will recognize the stress and then I will move on, but those meditation apps have, you know, uh, these meditations you can do once you wake up in the middle of the night, or if you can't fall asleep. Um, I've been using headspace for years. And so that's a great way to uh get out of your own head because you're listening to somebody who has a soothing voice giving you guidance on what to do uh from a breathing perspective and you know, letting everything um, you know, rest. And so that's probably what I would recommend if you, you know, if it's 2 a.m. and you can't fall back asleep, yeah. just turn that on. 10 minutes and you're going to be like, I'm tired again. So, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, I
0: practice meditation as well, but I find like, I take big gaps in between like going inwards and in those gaps, the challenges come back and um, just sitting with yourself. Like, like if, if you're restless and you're restless for, let's say greater than 30 minutes or greater than 45 minutes, certainly just get up and sit, close your eyes, breathe in breathe out, breathe in app or not. And sit with yourself because there's like a message to be had. Like there's a reason that there, there, there's something in your subconscious that you need to, to be with.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, and so be with it. And, and even if that goes on for two hours and you don't fall back asleep, you've been much more productive than you're going to be like with, with yourself, like trying to explore that than you would be uh later on. But anyway, um, super fascinating um and you know as w- the second half of this we're going to we're going to learn more about you so i'm curious to go into that but before we get into that what excites you the most about the future like right now you're predicting your future i mean you're creating your future uh, or picking your future i should say you're picking your future what excites you the most about it
1: yeah uh, and it's something i've been working on for uh the last you know few companies have been at and that is essentially go to market automation. Like I look forward, and this is why I was talking about marketing um, so much earlier is like, I look forward to a day where you don't really have to talk to somebody to buy something. Um, And by that, I mean, is that, you know, bring people to your website. You can figure out for the most part who they are give them the ability to do a self-guided tour so there's new softwares like you know Reprise and Walnut that instead of having a salesperson, you know go ahead and give a demo to somebody which oftentimes people will you know uh are not even pay attention to some of those demos and and so on uh only uh you know let them you know talk to somebody after they've gone through uh, a certain part of the educating By themselves, right? So they're watching content online um, and they'll be part of the community. I think today, if a company is not building a community, uh, they're missing out uh, at the end of the day, because the community is going to be there to, you know, uh, get people to be part of something. Right, and so you know, RevOps I think has been an overlooked uh, area um, as a community because a lot of you know, uh, you know, sales uh, software or marketing software will you know really. Uh, make heroes of the, you know, the, the, the people doing the job. But RevOps is a critical part of any company, especially early on. I, I wish I'd uh, hired, you know, excellent RevOps people earlier in my career uh, at some of the places I went at because they're really going to help you figure out where what, what, you know, tuning you should be doing to your sales process based on everything, all the data they have access to. Uh, but I look forward to go-to-market automation. Uh, where you can basically go, you know, ninety percent of the way through the buying cycle, and depending on how much your contract is worth, uh, then you'll be able to, you know, get a salesperson to handle legals and um, handle procurement and all that stuff. Um, and if it's a low price point, you don't have to talk to somebody. So um, I think there is, you know, not too distant future, um, you know, software companies are going to be way more effective at uh, generating revenue and making the buyer journey more interesting. Because one of the worst thing is when you have to talk to BDR, and then you talk to an account executive, you're going over the same questions that were asked, and then there's no transparency between the conversations that were had. And then onboarding comes around, and you're still asking the same question, um, you know, from the CSM, because it's a different person. And none of that intake of information is being able to feed through it. And, you know, I think, salesforce is an issue there but there's some companies now that are trying to solve this one of them is called accord um and they're basically you know uh, it's part of like mutual success plan but it's really like your 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 entire buyer journey will now be able to you can save all the information and then not have uh, a prospect have to answer the same questions by three different people i love it uh what's even worse than everything you described
0: is when you're buying something that you've bought for the last 15 years and you have to go through that. So it's like, I just want to get HubSpot people. Like I know exactly what I need. I could teach you about what I need because I've put in Salesforce in 15 different places at all three levels, worked with their APIs at all of this. and, And oh my God, I always used to joke, the Salesforce rep told me to Google something. Once when I asked them a question, I'm like, okay, (laughs) like, like let's, fine. Um, How can you get there faster? Accord is awesome. Um, Friends with those folks. Uh, Doc just came out. That's doing something a little similar. Uh, Alex over there who ran marketing at Lattice and, um, and the idea of being able to buy faster, like, like, like on a website. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with sales bricks, super cool product essentially um, you have like your charge be subscription model, like, like from payments and you have yeah. your like invoicing and, and be invoice and pay a hundred grand, like in one shot model. Um, and they're often separated. And it's like, why? Like, and, 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 and you can't go to a site and like buy anything. That's not subscription. Why? Like, why is this like so fragmented and, two different ways here like with the, with with the the models one's arr one's mrr um why isn't it in the same and and you're not going to use stripe for everything and um the second is why can't you just get like a quote from a rep and just buy it on the site and yeah and like just quicker gtm stuff is is yeah. massive so um, and i think the review says, cool to me, me.
1: I I worked at G two and you know they're going to get to a point where you know you you're not only going to G two to you know read reviews, um and see screenshots of product you'll be able to like you know use the product and you know be able to you know buy and you know, they want to become a you know marketplace and I think that's going to be really really cool and there's another speaking of go to market Can, can't uh, you buy wish- on
0: GitHub right now out of curiosity like on GitHub I mm-hmm. think you could actually buy like the
1: SaaS world whatever GitHub like way fast yeah. like of course crazy. yeah. Uh, They got um, the, you know, Microsoft, yeah. Yeah. So Microsoft has resellers. Microsoft doesn't really have a sales team, right? Everyone's reselling their product. Uh, But another company that is going to, I think, help with this go-to-market automation is called TestBox. Uh, They're still pretty early and they do this for customer support now. and They're they're rolling out marketing automation, but basically you can go... to uh their website and you can play with the tools so let's say you're in a market for five customer success or support products you can go there and play with the tools without having a subscription and that lets you it takes it even one step further than you know uh uh, you know like a reprise or walnut which is self-guided tour Right, so they're they're guiding you through it. This one you can just do whatever you want in the tool. Uh, they put dummy data in there, but like it's a really really cool way to let people just like, do I even want this tool? Because oftentimes you you don't get the tool until you paid for it, and you know I've bought software over the years, and I've been disappointed more than a few times um, because I didn't have the opportunity to do that.
0: I just threw a link in the chat from GitHub because I had to test myself, and I'm like, it says set up a plan. We're on GitHub.com for another product. And it guides you through a free plan. And I'm like, is it just linking to their site? And no, it's fully in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so this is this is exciting stuff.
1: Um, you know, Circle CI is a, is a great, great company. Um, isn't that cool awesome. that it's
0: right in there in, in GitHub? It's pretty yeah. right. But um, so the first half we learned from you and, and and learned a ton. The second half of this, I want to learn about you.
1: All right. So with that, who are you? Yeah, uh, that's a a big question. Uh, I I was born in Montreal, born and raised in Montreal. Um, And then when I was 14, my parents uh, decided to move to Texas. Uh, I barely spoke English. And so um, I had to spend two years in Austin, Uh, freshman year in high school and sophomore year uh, learning English and uh, I survived. And then we moved to California. Um, I wanted to get into early in my career. I I was always fascinated by um, the flow of money. And uh, even when I was a kid, I was, uh, I asked my parents, I think I was like 10 years old. I wanted to go to wall street. We were in New York. I'm like, I want to see wall street. And I've been fascinated and I still, you know um, you know, read um, books about, you know, Rockefeller and and things like that, the House of Morgan and so on, because I'm really interested about, you know, how, you know, the current economic systems came to be. Um, So I went into study economics, went to wealth management, uh, did that for a while, which is, you know, banking for rich people and figured out that wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, And then randomly, I, I decided to go into sales. And as a young adult, I was actually quite Timid uh, and shy, I wasn't the type of person that would go to a, um, you know, go to a networking event and talk to people. Um, that's something that I had to learn uh, as a as an adult, and it's very uncomfortable. But if you keep doing it, you eventually can power through it, and got to the point where now I kind of enjoy it. Uh, but I, I really had to change as a um, as an early adult, in my twenties, about you know, figure out a skill set that I was passionate about. Um, And um, so when I tried banking, I was like, this is not something I'm passionate about. And so I randomly ended up in uh, selling um, HR software. And I I spent about five years at a company called Paycheck selling uh, software to uh, small business owners. Like, I mean, you know, one to 20 employee companies for the most part, selling them, you know, payroll and, you know, workers comp and, um, you know, benefits and all of these things. And so I got to learn a lot during that time. I I think we were talking earlier um, about, you know, networking groups. I I got really good at talking in front of a group of 50 people because I would go to these business networking international groups where uh, there'd be somebody from, all different types of businesses or so you'd have an insurance person and you have a mortgage person and then you'd have, you know, a real estate person, you got a banker or so on and Personal everyone trainer. <laughs> exactly. Right. You got, you got somebody that, you know, selling some services. There's only one per, you know, uh, different types of service. And uh, I was a payroll person in that group. And um, that is probably where I learned, uh, the most about being able to get to outside my comfort zone, so that I could walk into any meeting, or I could walk into on a stage now with you know uh, 500 people and and feel you know not too scared about you know uh, my presentation. So that was all really good. And then eventually I uh, I fumbled into tech uh, when I turned 30. I uh, I decided you know what I've been setting up all of these you know, payrolls for these, you know, companies. Uh, and some of them made it big. And I was like, I should probably go try something else, given I I, I lived in the Bay Area for 25 years. Um, and so uh, I tried it out and uh that was a good decision I made. Paychecks is is such
0: a good pathway to sales. And I came from FedEx, which is another uh, perceived commodity, let's call it. I, If you're in it, you call it perceived. Every, the outside world just calls it straight commodity selling. Um, you knew how to sell value. That's why you did so well. But um, the outside world just buys it on price, or at least they seem they do it. When you have that type of background, where you could sell the same product at the same price uh, to the same person um, and, and win the deals, it builds something, right? Like, and in, and in, in tech is just like even easier because you have value to.
1: Like, I mean, yeah. When I left Paycheck and I went to Glassdoor, which was starting out, I mean, within the span of a six months, I was one of the best reps in the company. I had never sold over the phone before because I wore like a worse suit and like I, I you know, Sam, you to had
0: these,
1: to. went to these meetings, and you know, my closing percentage was like sixty percent throughout my, my time there, which is like, I ran five 100. meetings a week in, 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 and then, you know, I would close one call closed the majority of them. Um, and I got pretty good at it. And so when I went to, you know, uh, doing, you know, sales at glass door is before zoom. So you didn't have to do a uh, video when for me, video is probably the most important thing you can do to try to build a relationship with somebody. If you're going to sure. try to sell them something, you should always have your video on. Um, if you're a salesperson listening to this always have your video even if the other person doesn't have their video on your closing percentage will increase and companies like gong have tons of stats on this always have your yep. video on um but it really helped me uh, feel really good about um you know the confidence you get when you're closing you know tons of deals all the time right 150 deals a year whenever you go somewhere uh you go somewhere like a tech company and you know you're it's pretty easy because you you understand why people, what makes people tick, right? And you, you know, first thing you need to do is get them to, you know, build a relationship of some kind, right? So talking about the weather is not the best way, but sometimes, you know, there's not much you can go off of, but if you build that rapport in the beginning and then you do a needs analysis and be like, tell me about, you know, your problems before you talk about the product. If somebody starts a call and says, you know, give me the demo, I'm like, no, you don't get a demo. I don't know anything about you. I'm not going to waste my time giving you a demo. Um, yeah. so tell me about your job. Tell me about, you know, your pains uh, cuz I'm not going to just be a monkey here and do your demo uh without you telling me anything about your business.
0: So yeah, you you, you hit the nail on the head with that. I will say that you went to a company that had a brand after leaving Paychecks versus you know, Glassdoor
1: was back, Glassdoor back then? Not? No, 10 tell 11 years ago. It. No. I would call people like Glassdoor. I'm like, I don't need any windows. I was like, no, no, no. We're a review site for jobs. And you know, we help people find the right jobs. And people were like, I hate your company. I just went on your website and I hate what you guys are doing. You're creating problems for it. no, it wasn't, you know, my first year there, I uh people didn't know what it was. And if they did, they were like, I don't want to talk to you. Because you're making my life harder. I got the CEO telling me about these crappy reviews that are left on the website. And I was like, well, how about you participate right now? Only the employees that are not happy will participate. How about you think about getting your happy employees to participate? And, you know, by the end of it, I was working companies like, you know, Morgan um, or Chase. Um, I was working with Facebook and like some huge brands, which was really, really cool. And they bought into it early. Like Facebook was like, oh, right. I'm going to use this as a recruiting tool because, you know, they take pretty good care of their employees overall. And, you know, that, that gives them an opportunity to show like their lunchroom and to show, you know, all of the benefits that they give and how much people, you know, love working there. And so, uh, and now it's just standard. Everyone knows cost over it. Back then, yeah, right. most people I talked to did not like it or never heard of it.
0: My uh my colleague, right around the same time I went into tech, probably a year after you left Glassdoor, he went in and he's been there ever since. Uh, had had has had a great career there. It's it's funny how that works, and um, that that's super cool. So you're in San Francisco or the Bay Area, and you end up in Boulder. What happened? You just
1: wanted. A... Oh, really? Was it that recent? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was. So it'll be two years uh, next month. It'll be two years. Um, so how it happened is that I lived in the city with my wife for, I don't know, 13 years. Um, and I had promised her that if we got to three kids, we would move outside the city. And so we got to three kids and then we moved to East Bay, uh nice town in East Bay. But uh, then COVID hit and it didn't, you know, I didn't like it as much as I like San Francisco, you know, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's uh blackouts, right. Cause there's fires and like, you know, there's all these issues that were happening and kids are at home. And my wife and I just looked at each other and this was, you know, August two years ago. And there's like, you know, a bunch of you know, blackouts and, you know, uh, smoke in the air for weeks at a time. And my wife and I were like, we're out of here. Uh, so where should we go? And we're like, I said, well, I heard great things about Boulder. I know I've only been there for lunch once, but like I keep hearing great things about it. I like the mountains and I'd like to live somewhere where I could just go snowboarding in the morning and be back home mountain biking. Quality of life here is outstanding. And so that's the reason. And then I also, you know, like I said, three kids, I want them to live somewhere uh, where they can have the freedom to, you know, just bike around and do stuff. That's what I had growing up. And so I wanted my kids to have the ability to have freedom because if you're in a big city like San Francisco, it's kind of scary as a parent to let your kids go out. Um, and so I wanted them to you know, be able to have freedom that um, I had as a kid.
0: My dad's been an outerwear rep his like the last 30 years, Columbia Sportswear, um, Solomon. Um, I worked in a, a ski and snowboard shop throughout high school. And and nice. I think college in between the gaps when I was coming home, so I, I I know it well. And what's cool about Boulder, in my opinion as well, is you could build a startup there and and get talent that is. I I don't want to say good enough, but like like good, like you could build a scalable startup with the talent oh, there, for sure. person if you wanted to.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. In the last 20 years, uh, Boulder has really become a a tech community. And so, so is Denver, which is, you know, about 35 minutes away. Uh, But you know, what has happened here, you know, the the VC firms have come in, you got, you know, a campus here for Google, you have a campus for Splunk, Microsoft. So there's a lot of companies that have decided to come here over the years because it was cheaper than what San Francisco was. Um, And so, and then there's, you know, you know, University UC uh, University of Colorado Boulder is like 10 blocks from my house and so there's great engineering talent there. Um, and so it's a really good place to build a business but um, yeah the the funding that has been available now compared to what was here 20 years ago has really changed.
0: I love it. Uh, I, I'm so intrigued and we talked uh, before like I'm gonna definitely be back in that area probably in the fall time but you know your, your passions outside of work you mentioned snowboarding. yeah with
1: the family yeah uh i love traveling love cooking um thought about being a chef early in my career Mm because i love cooking that much love feeding my family it's probably one of the things i enjoy the most uh just figure out that after reading anthony bourdain's book i'm like i should probably not go work in kitchens uh see if i want quality of life and so um I like golf as well, so I probably played more golf in the last few weeks than I have in the last couple of years, which is really, really exciting. Yes, it's a, it's an activity that I picked up as a young kid. My dad got me into it when I was like six years old and um, stuck with it. And so that's another thing I enjoy. Um love reading uh, you know podcasts now the quality of the like podcasts are available now it's great you can always learn new things and I like you know it's it's not as stuffy as uh you know watching a, a documentary or you know television and so uh, those are things that I enjoy
0: Awesome. so yeah in closing th- thank you for coming um how could people find you where can they connect with you?
1: Yeah probably the easiest way to find me would be uh, LinkedIn. Um, and so Olivier LeBay, uh, you guys can see it. You can ping me there. Um, I'll, if you guys let me know, you watch podcasts, I I will accept your, um, connection requests usually i don't accept people i don't know but if you put that uh, i do quite a few podcasts so i, I build a cool. um so you can connect with me there um i read twitter but i i don't really engage uh on twitter so it's probably not the best way don't, don't follow me you're not going to get much value out of it but i i do uh, i do work the linkedin community pretty effectively
0: awesome so thank you for coming today um th- thank you thank you olivia and all right
1: we'll see you soon Thanks,
0: guys. And thank you, audience. If you learned something today or laughed, tell somebody about this podcast. And thank you again, man. It's been another great episode of Revenue Today. Really appreciate you being here. Whoa, another great episode of Revenue Today. For show notes, links, and mentions, visit revenuetoday.live. For all my friends in the Rev Genius community, thank you. It's been awesome to spend this time with you please DM me any feedback and ideas in our Slack channel or on LinkedIn. If you're not in RevGenius, join us at RevGenius.com. It's free and it only takes like two seconds, and you'll be joining a group of 27,000 revenue professionals strong. We've got it all. Looking forward to seeing you there. Catch you on the flip side.